Hey everybody, Ted King here, speaking to you from King of the Ride podcast. I am very excited about our guest today, Heather Jackson. She is not only a pro gravel racer, she is a professional ultra runner, taking both scenes by storm. And while part of me is inclined to tag the term neo-pro in front of what she's doing in both of these sports, she is already putting up absolutely smashing results in both. Heck, she just racked up third place at Mid-South what was that, two or three weeks ago, less than a minute off second place. She did uh, a couple races last year. She held her own at the Oregon Trail stage race, which is rumored to be super chunky, super gnarly, and a total blast. Then, of course, Unbound 2022, she was right up there in the podium hunt for more than half of the race before Mechanical derailed her day in that muddy Kansas countryside. Meanwhile, her results in ultra runs are just, quite frankly, jaw-dropping, so we're going to talk shop there as well. What's notable about her 2022 results is she was using that in preparation for her final Ironman triathlon. She's not new to sports. She's been a professional triathlete for 15 years, which was almost her first job straight out of college. We've got a funny couple anecdotes right there that we're going to hit on today. Like, for example, when she lived in Thailand. Yeah, friends, Heather has got some good stories. Best yet... And in particular, why I'm so excited about this conversation. I grew up in the same small town bubble as Heather in small town New Hampshire. So I've been aware of her athletic prowess from it very early on. And it has been a blast to stay apprised of what she's been doing over this entire period. All the better now that gravel is this gravitational magnet drawing triathletes into town. I absolutely love it. Heather's got some massive ambitions for this year with both Unbound and Western States leading the way. She's taking on the Lifetime Grand Prix. She's mixing in a bunch of other races. So as much as she is a fresh face on the gravel scene, her energy and her positivity will make you feel like you've known her for a lifetime. Folks, it is a hair after 8 a.m. as I record this. I've been up since 5 a.m. because that is my magic one-hour window before the kids are awake, before I'm chasing Hayden around, before I'm making breakfast for Hazel. I don't wake up with an alarm, but there I was at 5.01, downstairs, making coffee, and as my coffee is brewing, I'm also shaking up my daily dose of AG1 by Athletic Greens. Before that first sip of coffee hits my lips, I've already downed the quick and easy and tasty serving of AG1, and therefore started my day with the probiotics, minerals, vitamins, and so many micronutrients that I need to charge through the day. They are all derived from real foods. I do this every day, both with a standard bag of AG1, that's the one-month supply, when I'm in one place for a long period of time, or better yet, with the super handy travel packs. Why do travel packs make me so excited? I have no idea. I'm going to chalk it up to their convenience factor. Look, when when I look back at the past year, picking up Athletic Greens and introducing it into my daily routine is one of the best choices that I've made for my life, and thanks to its simplicity and efficacy, I want to introduce it to you. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with this convenient daily nutrition. Athletic Greens is here to help. They're going to give you a one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. Cut to the chase, Ted. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash tedking and take ownership over your health to pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Again, athleticgreens.com slash tedking. That's it. That's all. I'm excited for this one. Please enjoy my conversation with Heather Jack. Beauty. Uh, Heather Jackson, welcome to King of the Ride podcast. Um, now, what I think is kind of exciting, I think if people know the general Heather Jackson story, they know that you were a hockey player, you went off to college, you found triathlon, you went full board into that very successfully for about 15 years. Um, you recently have gotten into gravel cycling, and lo and behold, in the past six months, you're an accomplished ultra runner. <laughs> I feel particularly special because I also grew up playing hockey. And while I don't remember anything specific, I think uh, I have to assume it was at the rink in Exeter, New Hampshire, where the two of us grew up that we probably crossed paths for the first time. Um, (laughs) 
So yeah, now fast forward many years later, I think our parents have been acquainted. So when I'm off for pursuing professional cycling, my mom would ping me and be like, hey, did you know that Heather is a professional triathlete? Do you know that <laughs> winning this race or doing this thing? And so that that is how I have stayed stayed in tune with with the happenings of Heather Jackson. Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> so it's cool that small town connection. I, I feel like I probably know. I probably followed your career more closely just because like you were like the star of Exeter and <laughs> like just anytime I go to Exeter bike shop, it was just like. <laughs> Well, yeah, riding the world tour. It was so cool just to like know someone that yeah was doing that, and as someone, I mean, I I was a year below you, I think. Yeah, um, yep. and so for me, it was like you were always the older, like I don't know. <laughs> well, on the, and on the rink, like you were always. I think you were on Coach Houston's team, right? I was always on Mr. Ma- uh, Brent McMahon's dad. Yeah, yeah. So we would, I think, showed the ice a few times. Sure. Uh, I think we actually played soccer maybe more closely than ice hockey. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, Cause I remember my mom pulled out a photo and it was like either like U 12 or U- one of those U 10 and sure. we're like on the same team. Oh, that's hilarious. So you <laughs> we grew were up, super young. I grew up in Brentwood. Exeter is that central town. You grew up in Exeter proper. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. Yep. Um, I was like not far from downtown winter sure. street. I don't yep, know. Yep, yep. But, Winter Street Hockey Shop. Yeah, I was close. I was probably five houses down from Winter Street Hockey Shop. That's hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, let's kick it off there. We've talked about hockey and soccer. What? How do you first get into those sports? How do you first start start uh, taking on call it what I call traditional American sports as opposed to the pro cycling and triathlon, which are no longer in that realm. Yeah, totally. Um, I want to say I probably got into it. I got into those specifically because of my brother. So I had a brother who was a year younger than me and he was playing hockey. I think just from friends. I mean, we, we grew up playing just like on Exeter river and just like getting out on the ponds and stuff yeah, and skating. Yeah. And then, um, I think he got into it a year before I did. We were young though, like six, seven, probably eight. Um, my mom so my mom taught at Fremont, um, just the Fremont sure. elementary junior high. Um, and she was the gym teacher. So she would like, she was a gym teacher, but then she was also like referee, ump, like all these after school things. So she had to like bring her four kids to these events with her. And so we kind of just got into everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. So I would say that was kind of the start just growing up. We did. Yeah. Like all the team sports, basketball, softball, lacrosse, hockey, soccer, yeah. um, kind of through, I would say, yeah, junior high, high school. I really started more, I guess, the ice hockey, soccer mm-hmm. um, focus. And it's so funny because I I didn't end up going to Middlebury, but Middlebury was like literally one of my top choices it, because I could play soccer and hockey versus sure um ended up playing purely ice hockey in college but <laughs> yeah. did you did you do any time at Exeter public or did you go straight from junior high to Phillips Exeter I went straight to Phillips Exeter just purely because of ice hockey um yeah. I don't know if you remember the Glennons Mr. Glennon sure. Ryan Glennon yeah. Lindsay Glennon was my class mm-hmm. and he was the coach at the time and like we couldn't afford it. It was not something that really I was even on my radar. And but right around then is when all the all the guys are you guys are in high school and like double the size and it became this thing where I think Lindsay and I were the only two kind of women at the time playing. And so it was like, okay, here's an opportunity to play women's ice hockey um and yeah. a chance to go to this private school. Um, and so he kind of helped facilitate that, which I'll forever be grateful to the Glennons for. And then yeah, yeah. played played there. Um, how was that? How was your experience at Phillips? I mean, you know, for, for folks who know it's, it's arguably the top one, two, three high schools in America. How was <laughs> and it happened to be right down the road from where both of us grew up? Yeah, What's totally. that experience like? It was, you know, I look back and it was cool. It was different for me just, I think as a day student. So I would, it's for the listeners who don't know, it's a boarding school. Um, but, and we also, we would go to school every day until 6 PM. And so it was like, 
boarding school, 6 p.m. We had class on Saturdays. So as a day student who's not actually like living there immersed in it, but I still had to like go to school on Saturday (laughs) (laughs) or like be at school until 6 p.m. And then I remember my dad would come. I would meet him right at that main crosswalk on Front Street and (laughs) pick me up, go home. So I think I had a different experience than some of the boarders, but I was also playing club, um, ice hockey and some ODP soccer. So I would like come home from school and then go straight to other practices. So I just remember my high school days were packed, literally. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And what would already be a packed academic schedule, let alone throw in athletics. I mean, yeah, I, I would often hear stories of contemporaries, friends who went to PEA and they found like college is easy after the experience of going through PEA. So let alone to have the schedule that you're <laughs> submitting. <laughs> exactly. Yourself. Yeah. I, I think of high school as harder than uh, my college. Sure. Uh, college days. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. So, okay. I think, I think a desk jockey, so to speak, could change course from that job and become a professional endurance athlete you know there's some amalgamation of lung capacity and vo2 and an inherent musculature there's training adaptations that take place to become a professional endurance athlete on the opposite end of the coin what attributes do you think you had coming from uh these team sport sort of spicy explosive athletic pursuits to go on to to have success in 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 the endurance world and triathlon yeah, that's a good question. I always I always think about that in like my training, mostly in triathlon now moving into some new things, but in triathlon like when I would I started getting into the sport and found the things that I liked in the swimming and the biking and the running were actually those shorter efforts despite mm-hmm. it being an endurance sport. And I think that came from the hockey days of like you're on the ice for 40 seconds, like 40 yeah. seconds all out to the bench, you get a quick rest. And then I would do my bike training and get like these one minute efforts or two minute efforts or like pursuit efforts. And for me, I loved those. I love going hard for these short spurts and then like recovery. And then you kind of, you elongate them into more endurance days, but that was the stuff I always loved. And I think that does come, yeah, specifically from the soccer and ice hockey days of short bursts for sure. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I was listening to a podcast that you prefer the the short explosive stuff. You prefer VO2s over the all day tempos. Yeah, I disagree. Oh, yeah. There's like there's something very rewarding in that, you know, punching the clock and having it done so quickly. Yeah, but it's, it's funny to contrast that to a to a sport that you're out there for double digit hours. Um, yeah, I know. I every time I try to wrap my head around it, like personally, I'm like, okay, wow, the sport I do is eight nine hour days, yeah. but I also break that down mentally into these short little pieces. So sure. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Going back to that original intro, I think some of the nuances um, that are glossed over when people hear the general story, the he- the general Heather Jackson story, um, they can be missed. So for example, you taught English in Thailand. <laughs> I know, right? Is this accurate? Like, where does that fit into the puzzle? Because I think it's actually a very integral piece into the puzzle. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, it's so funny. I, I good, good uh, knowledge there. <laughs> I like to do my research. I don't want to go into these being like, "Uh, what do you do?" <laughs> yeah, don't, no, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so uh, my senior year was '06 um, in college. And it also coincided with 06 games, uh, winter games for ice hockey. And I didn't make that team. I used to train in Lake Placid in the summers and kind of always had that on the radar, but didn't end up making that, that dream come true. But it also post college for women's ice hockey, there really wasn't much. And I also didn't, I mean, not to say I went to to college for ice hockey, but kind of, so. I was one of those students that I did not know what I wanted to do. I was a poli sci major. I didn't really have like any real idea. Well, uh, and, and let's not skip over the fact, like, with due respect to community colleges, you're not a Joe Blow community college. This, this is Princeton. So, like, <laughs> no matter how much you're glossing over it, like, there's still an academic uh, requirement that that you've you seem to have graduated college. So, hats off to you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> There were a few moments there. <laughs> okay. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it was one of those like, okay, what can I do? And it it was, 
I looked at the Peace Corps. Um, I looked at some things like that, just kind of this gap year, travel year after. And Princeton offered this program, and it was called Princeton in Asia. And you mm-hmm. apply to that program, similarly to how you would apply to, say, a Peace Corps. And um, I got into the program, and then you don't find out where you're posted until after you've been accepted. And they put you through all these like certifications and teaching English as a second language. And so I went through all that. And then you find out where you're posted. And I got Thailand. Um, which ended up being amazing. I mean, I, I would have never known to even be like, oh, I should do that for a year. Um, yeah. cause it was all over Asia and East Asia. You could have been posted. Um, wow. so yeah, I got, I feel like I got lucky cause I was also in Chiang Mai, Thailand, which is really cool city. Like, okay. yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. yeah, I taught English at Chiang Mai University, um, for that year following graduation. Were, what was your Thai background or? You were also an East Asian studies major. Yes, exactly. So that was um, that was just random, actually, because um, <laughs> that I was East Asian studies minor because I had studied Japanese. And again, back to that Exeter tie, yeah. I started studying Japanese in junior high. And that was because, I don't know if you knew this or it was the same with your class, like our our grade was overcrowded at the junior high or the junior yeah. high was too small. So about... 40 or 50 of us had to come up to the high school, Exeter High, during 7th and 8th grade. But we had to pick from classes that weren't too crowded. Um, And so French and Spanish were taken. So I basically had to pick from Japanese or Russian. And so I just randomly chose Japanese. So that's when I started studying it at Exeter Junior High. (laughs) That's very cool, full circle. Uh, That's awesome. Huh. Fascinating. (laughs) Um. And and correct me if I'm wrong, it's in Thailand that, that you s- effectively experience a triathlon for the first time. Is that right? I had done... So before I went over, I was at actually at home in New Han- um, Exeter, and my parents were going to do just a local sprint one okay. with their friends. It was at Cannon Mountain. Sure. And yeah. it was like the Bodie Miller was going to be there. It was like his home mountain. And I was like, oh, sick. Like Because I followed skiing, and I was like... And he was actually at it and like blew the cannon to start the race. It was just a local sprint try. And so, yeah, we mountain biked right at the base of cannon. And then there's like a little pond there, basically swam across the pond. And then the run was up the main ski lift. So that was the first triathlon I ever did. (laughs) That's harsh. (laughs) Yeah. Successful, I imagine. Yeah. It was called race to the face, Uh but now there's no, there's no more, uh, old man on the mountain, but. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) Uh, how'd that go for you? It was good. I don't, I was, I don't remember. Yeah. How it actually went, but I just remember being like, whoa, like testing myself, like a race against myself versus a team sport. Yeah. So that was the first time it was really like, oh wow. Like I want to see what I can do personally. Sure. And the last of my due diligence uh, research into this conversation. (laughs) You have a bronze medal in both the individual pursuit and the Omnium that I believe you got uh, at the U.S. National Track Championships. (laughs) And this was in pursuit of of trying to earn an Olympic berth. Is that correct? That is correct. (laughs) So, I mean, amazing. Like, I... As far as people who have a knowledge of Heather Jackson, I think I've trumped them in in in, in you hundred percent. So where does track fit into this? So it's so you have nailed this. I am very impressed. Admittedly, that's the last of my Heather Jackson trivia. So then I'm really excited <laughs> okay. about asking you other questions. <laughs> but yeah, where does that fit in? Um, so I get back from Thailand, and I had gotten like a. Um, I forgot what it's called, extension on student loans. So I basically had one year and that lasted through the years in Thailand. So I'm like, oh, I got to get a job. Mm-hmm. I had my resume on this like teaching site and I got um, an interview out in San Jose, California area. Sure. Um, I was like, oh, cool. They off- offered me a-, a trip out for an interview and a like teaching demo. I'm like, sick, free trip to California. Like yeah. I'd never been... <laughs> So I come out, do the demo, and I'm like, yeah, there's no way I'm getting this. But got the job teaching. So I was actually teaching ninth grade in San Jose. Move out to California. This would have been in 08. Yeah, late 08. Um, 
And that's when I really kind of started like looking up the local triathlon clubs and scenes and group workouts and stuff. And, um, there was a local Wednesday ride in the San Jose area. And so I started using that for training on Wednesday afternoons. And one of the Wednesday afternoons, um, my now husband, Waddy, Sean Watkins, he was working for triathlete magazine at the time. And he was, um, head of ad sales. So he was up in the area visiting like all the, the Bay area companies to sell ads and take clients out. Yeah. We, we stay in touch, become friends, um, started kind of like hanging out a year later and he came from a track cycling, um, background. And okay. so he basically told me, I, I was not enjoying the teaching. He's like, you can always, I was 24 at the time. He's like, you can always go back to teaching. Um, give, you should give this a go, whatever it is, triathlon cycling, like come down to San Diego, I'll help you out. So I, put my notice in, moved down to San Diego and he got me straight on the track. So I basically, um, raced on the track in 2009. Gotcha. Um, and that was, yeah, I loved it, especially come from ice hockey. Cause it's like, yeah. it's so aggressive and like elbows out and like, yeah, you're just on this crazy steeped, you know, velodrome just. <laughs> right. Well, and all for the better for, with due respect to triathletes who have a bad rap about bike, bike handling skills, <laughs> no better place to learn bike handling skills than on a velodrome. You oh, must feel like yeah. a boss anytime you go on a bike after that. Oh, yeah. For me, I was like, oh, this, is this cycling versus yeah. like then you get into triathlon? It's just solo. But I, so I had that experience early on of like, okay. Like, okay. and he would just have me like, he's like, just go off the front. Just yeah. women's cycling, I think was a little different than the men's. Like no one would, would really like attack or I just remember like, yeah, it was a little bit different. So he would be like, just be the person that does that. Like, just go, what are you waiting yeah. for? So it was always like very like, okay, sweet. I'm going to just, yeah, go from the gun. <laughs> I think that's great. I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> I had success in my throughout my career as a result of I think being overly aggressive early on. But you know, it's like you sort of throw tactics out the window and purely work on your engine. Totally, totally. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. So okay, now for like let's jump up to the present. Um, it's worth pointing out that that you have just recently retired from professional triathlon. And through a well-worded intro, I will make sure everybody knows all of your triathlon accolades oh. <laughs> what's what you know i'm particularly interested in is that you're you're very much into gravel cycling and ultra running i mean you've basically pivoted to be a pro gravel cyclist pro ultra runner um <laughs> for example taking on the lifetime grand prix which is outstanding as well as a whole bunch of other events so shooting from the hip what is it going to take for you to call the 2023 lifetime grand prix a success like is there is there a particular metric a particular result? that you um, say this is a success? Ooh, good question. I haven't thought of it as a whole. There's certainly races within it that I'm targeting more than the others um, that I'm really excited by. I'm excited just to be a part of the series and yeah. like the different shifts race by race, like knowing what which ones maybe I'm going to be stronger at than the others and just watching that dynamic. I, I watched it all last year and just enjoyed yeah. seeing the different, yeah, different moves, I guess. So um so what 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 particulars what are i mean i think i can guess what are the race (laughs) or races that mean the most to you that that you'd be targeting more than one or the other or the other six well i I certainly unbound is probably my biggest race this year that i'm focused on purely right now um i mean i think just coming from what i i my background like that 10, whatever it is 10 hour ish day like that's my i've been doing that for 15 years so For me, that's exciting. Like I know how to race that. I know, um, yeah. So that one is one I think I could like, yeah, sure, possibly, possibly show at. Um, like even I just raced mid south. I just saw you there. Um, like I crossed at a hundred miles. I'm like, oh, give me a hundred more. Like I exactly. can reel more people in. <laughs> that was a sweet warm up. Yeah. <laughs> um. Gravel is funny because it's this magnet for people coming in often from other sports. Now we're at the point that people are getting into gravel for the first time as their first sport. But for a long time, it was roadies, cyclocross racers, mountain bike racers. Triathletes were never mentioned for whatever reason. But now I feel like 
you are the tip of the iceberg. You know, uh, I was in a group with what your buddy, Ben Hoffman. I mean, oh yeah, Hoff. <laughs> He's you, a good there guy. are, there are more and more people coming in and you cannot be discounted for that exact point that you just said. Right. I mean, like your bread and butter is riding 10 plus hours. So it's, right. it's kind of bananas. Um, <laughs> how much, how much of a triathlon, an Ironman led distance triathlon is a time trial versus a dynamic race with others? Um, well, technically the whole thing is meant to be just a straight time trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, your question was how much of triathlon is, is that right? Yeah. It, yeah. It's changing. It's certainly changing. That's for sure. Now, like there's more and more women getting out together and makes it more like the men's race, which has been a little bit different for, for longer. And by that, I mean, they're getting out in packs. You see footage from say Kona and there's like 30 men together yeah. and it's, it is more surgy. You have people going to the front. You have to keep the, the drafting zone. That is a huge thing of discussion. Is that really draft free zone? I mean, you can feel right. a draft when you're that close. So it is different. And the women's field is getting more and more like that right. um, for sure. So the sports changing from just the straight time trial head down. Um, like what can you hold for five hours basically? But for me, for listeners who don't know, I did not, the one sport I didn't grow up doing was swimming. And so I am always out of the water, like way back. So I'm getting out six, seven, eight, up to like 10 minutes back. So I have that like mindset of like, okay, time to go to work, like time trialing as hard as I can, uh, for the 112 miles. So that's why the bike and run have always been more of my, <laughs> my strength. Awesome. And also, yeah, like I've had to build them up more to make up for that. I mean, yeah, if you come out with that kind of deficit, then you purely have to step on the gas. Granted, you're not going to go sprint for 112 miles on the bike, followed by a <laughs> marathon. Man, oh man. I mean, that must be so fascinating just like to watch the race, to watch if there was a camera purely on you, to watch your power data as you approach the people that you are, that are your competition, like, do you take in a little breather and then go surging? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's yes. just the, <laughs> yes, nerd, <you> <laughs> the nerd in me. Listening. And you're like, good job. Stay with yeah. it. You're doing great. <laughs> I'm still lounging in the, in yeah. the ocean for an extra. Backstroking. <laughs> uh, so how <clears throat> you're not new to gravel racing. You've been doing some gravel races uh, last year and and already this year, of course. How has that dynamic been in terms of a group, a peloton, or is it blinders on time trial kind of race? How are you treating these? Or is it learning on the fly? It's kind of been... so. I have a, a little bit of that group experience, like you, you were talking about earlier from the velodrome. I did a little bit of cyclocross early on. So I've done it, but I, it's also been 15 years. Yeah. And so it's still like super nerve wracking for me, just those first, I don't know, five to 10 miles. And also trying to like make that move to get in the pack. Cause I still don't have that super high end early on, like where those groups are being decided. Mm-hmm. And so it's been this like, yeah learning certainly learning process and trying to just be a little more aggressive not aggressive but a little more like not scared to like okay go up closer to the front like i'm i'm more standing in the line like i don't want to get in anyone's way i don't want to mess anyone up or cause that break or and versus being like okay who cares like you just have to do what you can do and not worry about i don't know it's it's kind of that lack of confidence in the in a group setting yeah Um, Shoot, I know what you mean. Uh, I think at this point, you have a, a license to do whatever you want. I mean, tastefully, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, race aggressive as opposed to being on the on your back foot, being timid. Um, has your training changed, like, to try to get that initial pop in the first hour, hour and a half of a race? Yeah, certainly. I mean, just more like short efforts, doing a lot of like 4020s, a um, lot of like speed change stuff. Um actually have been getting a lot of amazing help from Ian Boswell has basically been putting a bunch of workouts in my training. (laughs) So, and he came down uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, stayed with us for about a week and he like took, I don't want to say I rode with him. He took me out on rides and we did the same workout, but he was like up Mount lemon miles. (laughs) 
Yeah, he's a he's a born very tall sparrow. So yeah, he goes uphill ridiculously well. Oh uh, but obviously, <laughs> he's doing something right on the bike. Well, and he's a funny example because the other thing I was going to say is you you can rely on a fifteen you know decade and a half years of experience of doing ultra distance, so to speak. So now you you know you have that money in the bank. Of course, you're not going to only do short training, but. <laughs> it's to your benefit to have this, this massive endurance background. I'm laughing, thinking of Ian who is forced to do that because he spends most of his winter in Vermont. We also live in Vermont. We happen to travel more than he does. And then he comes out absolutely flying. So whatever magic sauce that he's doing up in, in Vermont on his trainer is amazing. He's, he's such a good training partner. I love having him up there. He's a great neighbor. Oh, I bet that they're great. The, the whole family came down. So it was really cool because I had never really spent much time with Gretchen yeah. and obviously Ingrid, but yeah, it was so cool. I mean, such good people for sure. sure. So. But yeah, he shows up in Tucson saying he hasn't really done much and he's like on the shootout, which is the group ride here in Tucson on his like, who knows, 48s or something like thick gravel wheels, like at the front, just yeah. <laughs> making up for lost time. I get that loud and clear. Yeah. You just got to <laughs> bury yourself to that last time how about okay talking um lifetime grand prix a little bit more how are your mountain bike skills there's a handful of mountain bike races in there i know exactly i'm certainly i don't want to say i'm yeah i'm like medium i know how to mountain bike i used to do i did a few xterra races i raced the xterra world champs in maui a couple times so i can mountain bike i i'm not like the mountain bikers that are in the series by any means. I'm not, um, yeah, I'm, I don't think it's going to be a forte, but I'm also not like scared of that. Um, necessarily I'm excited just to see, I mean, I've never done a mountain bike race, so it's just kind of cool. It's like a bucket list. thing. Totally. Well, you'll have a blast as a, I, I would say based on what you just said, our backgrounds in mountain biking are similar. I've probably done more mountain, I have done more mountain bike races, but I'm, you know, in my heart of hearts, I'm a roadie through and through. Uh, Any true mountain biker would say Leadville is the tamest mountain bike race you'll do. But then coming from my perspective, no, it's still a mountain bike race. Like there are plenty of times you want to be on, you know, 29 inch wheels and and suspension. So (laughs) you're going to have a blast. It's an endurance feat. Uh, I heard that you haven't raced much at that 12,000 feet zone, which is certainly a thing. That is what is probably the most worrisome for me versus the actual mountain biking part. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm a little worried about that. <laughs> so then related question, are you, you're, you're obviously gung ho on, uh, unbound that's target race 2023. Are you interested in the overall or, or do you look at something like Leadville and say that's, that's probably a throwaway race? That one I'm up in the air on just because. I know I'm throwing away the Tusher one, the Utah one. Um, Can you not be there? Or is it like a a schedule thing? That one is, I think it's like two weeks after Western States. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't want to count on doing much for probably two to three weeks after. (laughs) That's very wise. So yeah, July is kind of rest get and then kind of get set for that second half so let it would be leadville i'll be at sbt and then there's that schwamigan schwamigan the rad i'm excited about the rad that one looks like it could be good i think schwamigan i could be completely wrong i mean i'm not a nordic skier but i did uh the american berkebiner which is freaking awesome and it was awesome like what a cool scene it's sort of like the unbound or the Kona still has that like super rad feel. And then you're in the middle of the woods and he would Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, and they use virtually the same course to do Schwamigan. I ended up for a variety of reasons, didn't do Schwamigan last year. But my point is, I think it's basically like the Berkey <laughs> an hour and a half drag race on a mountain bike. Okay. Got it. <laughs> just be warned. I think it's a very, very, very tame mountain bike race. I think it's a lot of just fire roads wide open, but yeah, it's like this Berkey flowy course. Okay. okay. Anyway, work on your punch for that one. That ain't a 200 mile. Joy yeah, yeah. That's a short, like, okay. Uh, Western States. Yeah. <laughs> Why the heck not? Right. Exactly. Seriously. So, <laughs> what you did, 
you've done two ultra uh, trail runs in your life. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> Both with within the past six months. When was the first one? When was uh, Havelina? Yeah. It was a week after Big Sugar. So yeah, October. Okay, which means, correct me if I'm wrong, you did Kona to Big Sugar, which is what, two weeks? Yes. (laughs) Which also entails your retirement from triathlon. To Javelina, which is what, Arizona, I believe? Yep, exactly. (laughs) So you do a 100-mile running race where the longest run you've ever done at this point is a marathon. Yes. (laughs) And you get fifth place. Like, this is absolutely bonkers. Uh, how, A, how did you do it? And then in particular, in listening to, to some other podcasts, I hear it's a, it's a lapped race where you do five laps and I hear you say that, you know, the, the wheels came off at mile 70, which is not the wheels coming off at mile 92 and you can walk eight miles. Like mile 70 means you still have more than your longest ever training run to go. If people want to hear in-depth conversations, you can you can go to a lot of running podcasts and and hear Heather tell this story. What is the truncated version? How on earth did did you get through the Havelina and to do it so successfully? I appreciate that. I'm I'm very very impressed right now with your with your knowledge. So I appreciate. Well, okay. That. Quick quick uh, aside. You're a very popular podcaster. When I type in your name, there are so many podcasts. And what's great is they're all relatively recent within the past, call it pandemic, up through the present. It's not like there's two and then you have to like fill in the details. There's so many and you're a great, great guest. So you've made this easy to set me up. Anyway, that's my aside. Talk to me about Havelina. Thank you. Um, Havelina, yeah. So the wheels came off very close to, I guess, an Ironman distance or an unbound distance, that 10, 9, 10, 11 hour mark. So um, I guess, yeah, it wasn't that I was like, okay, this makes sense. But then, yeah, like you're saying, there's still 30 miles to go. Um, I guess I didn't really... I wasn't thinking of it that way. I was thinking of it as laps, which was a good thing. I think that it happened to be a lap course. Cause I'm like, okay, there's only one lap left. Um, like there's no way you're dropping out now or you're not going to do it at the very least you can walk. Um, and the second thing that I, I, I've given this shout out a couple of times, but I need to on that day. Um, the head global marketing director from Hoka, I've been with Hoka for eight years. Uh, Mike McManus. I mean, he was at that race and he's the one that had encouraged me to come check this event out. It would be like, I know you've been with Canada forever, like one of their head guys that has supported you forever. And you're at this like epic stage race and you're just like, don't know if you can do it. And they're telling you like, they're behind you 1000%. And he's just right. like, HJ, like one lap left, like you can still get a golden ticket. And he's just yeah. like, gave me this pep talk and he's like head of Hoka. And you're like, oh yeah, I can do it. Like, yeah, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> it, was, it really got me out of that. Like, cause in the laps you come through the SAG area. So it's very easy to be like, oh, not, you can sit down and like, not want to go back out. And I ran out of there. Like it was like a 10 K I was so fired up. So <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, that was pretty cool. Just, and then like a mile later, I was like slogging my quad. That's what goes in these races. Your quads. Yeah. Just, yeah were shot so because it's not what i think is lost to even a non-runner is uh, ultra running is incredibly dynamic up and down and jumping over stones and crossing rivers and yada 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 it's not like you can maintain a pace and you say okay now i'm going to do my six minute mile pace it must be so much perceived rate of exertion exactly yeah exactly that's why i'm still like i mean i've only done two for me it's just i haven't been yeah, looking at pace or anything. I just run because I don't know how you're supposed to go out in these being like, okay, I'm going to hold this when, right. yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah. How some of these people have done it forever. Do it. <laughs> well, yeah. And then having just prefaced this conversation by saying, Hey, for the sake of listeners, let's gloss over it. Now I want to talk about it a tiny bit deeper. I think you ended up getting fifth because what you were saying is like, you ran out with the lead guys at what you felt like this was a very, Casual Sunday afternoon pace, Sunday morning pace. Like, sweet, this is sustainable. You recognize 
in hindsight, maybe you could have slowed down, but then you, you know, you lose the benefit of the draft momentum and, and totally a group. Have you gone through that mental arithmetic? Like if you had slowed down, do you think you would have finished fifth or 10th or third or? I don't, I mean, it was, yeah, it's gotta be anyways, guess you go. Yeah, no, I know oh, exactly what you're saying. My mind after I was like, well, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't have changed it probably because it still felt easy. I mean, it was not hard. It was more, okay, I need to toughen my quads up by maybe doing more downhill running versus changing how I go out. Cause it's, yeah. Yeah. I don't know that. I think inevitably you're going to slow down in these. They're so long. So if I go out fast, I'm going to slow down less than if I go out slower. I don't think you're going to like negative split these. necessarily. (laughs) Yeah. You're a mutant if you're doing that. So yeah, I don't, I'm still going to approach it similarly. I mean, we'll see. (laughs) And well, right. I mean, you gotta, you have an end of two at this point. Like I wonder at what point you figure out what does work. Meaning. Yeah, exactly. I know I follow like Courtney DeWalter, all the the absolute superstars. And I'm just like, certainly she like, yeah, who knows? Like what, what do they do? They just know. (laughs) They have like, a bunch of leg fairies that are giving them nonstop leg massage <laughs> because exactly. yeah, I get that. Like the muscle, not just muscle fatigue, but the muscle de decommissioning, like your muscles are just falling apart with that kind of trauma. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. There's that you get second at black Canyon, which is amazing. Is that where you get a golden ticket to go to Western States? Okay. So this was, so after Havelina. Yeah. Um, so Hoka is the title sponsor of Western States and Hoka gets one, just like one sponsor slot that they get to award to anyone. And <laughs> yeah, Mike called me after Havelina and was like, I've never seen someone race one of these like that. Like you just had no fear. You just went for it. And we want to give you the Hoka slot. So I actually knew I had a slot after Havelina. Mm-hmm. but I didn't want to just, I had done one. I'm not, I'm not like, I did not want to, yeah, disrespect trail runners or just be like, oh yeah, look, I'm into Western States. So it was like, I wanted to try to earn my own basically. So I was just in my mind, like, okay, you don't have an entry. You want to go to Western States. Cause that's like the Kona of trail running. Yeah. Um, so black Canyons, I would have technically earned one. I got second there, but, um, I already had one. So the third place girl got to get one as well. So that's cool. Wow. I'm just trying to, I was, I, uh, I took a little tumble in early February and that's what prevented me from, uh, doing my first ever marathon. I was going to do the double at mid South. I saw your post. I was going to ask you, I'm like, oh my oh, gosh, God, getting into trail running. I was so psyched. Like the, the cadence at which I'm running, which was basically once a week. I'm like, I can't get injured. This is great. I, I like mixing it up. It's good for my body and my bone health. I mean, ironically, yeah, totally. I'm injured. <laughs> and my biggest letdown from Mid-South was not being able to do the run. No. I'm just getting my head wrapped around, I mean, 30 miles, the, what is it, 50K? Yeah. Is, is something. To do 100 is just bananas. So I'm I'm so, <laughs> so darn impressed. Uh, well done in advance <laughs> and admitted. How about... Uh, I don't even know how to phrase the question. Mid-South is what I call the unofficial kickoff of the gravel season. It's like regionally, you've done your races. The Californians are doing their thing. Arizonans are doing their thing. Coloradans are playing in the snow. New Englands are hibernating. (laughs) And then we descend on Oklahoma and we have the first like real race of the year. But it's not 2,500 hellbent racers. Like the community and, and group of people that show up in Stillwater is is the most amazing and hilarious and awesome cross section of cycling. That's uh, yeah. my perspective, having lived it cycling for for twenty plus years. What do you see when you're there at, at Stillwater? Yeah, oh, totally. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was amazing. I mean, all the other stuff going on, like the live music was insane. Live music, the food trucks, the expo was just jamming. I mean, it rem- that event reminded me of yeah some of the triathlons 10 15 years ago where everyone's so into it and excited to be there and out hanging out and there were so many other things beyond just like the race day um which is so cool i mean that's why i'm i'm loving this the few that i've done so far on the gravel scene because it's yeah it reminds me of the sport 
yeah, 15 years ago in a good, good way. Like very much grassroots. People are just enjoying themselves, not like, yeah, in, out, like looking, I don't know, all the the stuff now that makes things very serious versus you can still race hard and try to do your best and want to go there and race and try to win or whatever your goals. But you can also just the second it's done or in the lead up before have fun and not be so uptight. (laughs) Yeah, I think I had a particularly good time, ironically, because I was injured, which allowed me to overbook my Friday. Like the race was Saturday and I still rode the distance because I hadn't ridden longer than an hour in the previous three weeks. Oh no. <laughs> and I just wanted to do it personally as like, oh my gosh, I need to break through this one hour painful bike riding hurdle. And so I overbooked yeah. myself in terms of like doing interviews and doing uh podcasts and and really just living in the the expo the entire day. Which yeah, yeah to your point, like gravel like any other sport, the more it gets more serious, you can only like go in, get out, get your right race number and then you know put your feet up. There's something that's still rad and raw about gravel, and I don't know how we keep it that way because because the sport is changing, you know. Totally, yeah. How totally. do you I listen to your podcast with Ian and just you? Those of you who have done it for so much longer, so it's mm-hmm. probably similar to someone like me in triathlon and seeing how it's shifted. Yeah. Of like, it has probably changed from earlier on, but how? Yeah, how can you keep it? Yeah. Well, and you've you've. <laughs> You've got Kona, you've got Western States that you're about to do, you've got Unbound that you have done and you're about to do. What do you see in the different communities, in the run community, in the cycling community, in the the tri community? Uh, in terms of like, are, are is one more dedicated and driven and focused? Is one more nerdy? Is one more likely to party? Like where where are those differences? I would say the most uptight is the triathlon. And this isn't, I don't mean that in a bad way. I love the sport. I love everyone I've met in it. It's shifted for sure. And it's very scientific now. And it's very like, you got all the lactate testing, you got all the different, like how people are training. It's, and it's what you're saying. You're in, you're out, your feet up. There's no talking. You've scheduled your, you have 10 minutes at this signing, like it's, it's very intense and it used to not be, I think as much so, um, with that comes higher performances, the best in the world are racing at it right now. Just like you see the increased performances. So for sure that's shifted. Um, I would say the trail running scene, it was the exact other way for me. Like everyone is so laid back, like so, so laid back. It was insane. Like people are doing the beer mile before Havelina, like just, they're just out there drinking, partying in the desert and then getting up and just like spending a day on the trails. Like almost like it wasn't even a race (laughs) for a lot of people. (laughs) And then I would say gravel was like, is like kind of in the middle. You can, you can have a little bit of both. You have, um yeah different levels of intensity Where, i guess or and you're if what i gotta assume you're a year younger than i am so you're probably 39 ish years old how 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 prolonged are your motivations is it like do you want to be winning every race you do or are you just purely psyched to be you know continuing in the endurance sports world in a new genre series of genres uh <laughs> It's an intangible question with an intangible answer. Like, totally. What are you getting out of this chapter? Call yeah. it. I mean, I think for me, I feel super lucky of where my career is falling because, yeah, certainly I'm not the 24 year old new triathlete anymore. It's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also feel like where my triathlon career fell and how it fell with Kona. Kona's moving from Kona now, and that had always been the race I had dreamed of. And focused on for so long. So I feel so grateful that I had that. And now with the triathlon scene shifting and me not having really done the trail running and gravel, it's so new to me. It's so exciting. It's like this new thing that does, I think, suit where I'm at physiologically, like later in my career, I think females, um, you have the endurance a bit longer. So whether that's like I'm 38, I turn 39, um, in a few months, but like, I have the years of that and I can take advantage of these endurance events. That's why something like an unbound or Western States and whether it's another year, two years, three years, um, I don't have like a set thing on it. I do have a couple things I want to do like a Western States, like possibly a UTMB just because they're 
like such bucket list events. And I think I'm, I'm still healthy. I'm still wanting to do it and wanting to like go for it and push myself for it. And I know that won't always be there and I'll know when it's not. Cause I kind of was getting there with triathlon. I just not, I didn't care anymore. I just didn't have that drive to give like 110% every day. Cause I was like, I wasn't inspired by it anymore, mm-hmm. but now I'm re-inspired of like, okay, like new challenges. So um, getting ready for these is exciting and having that enjoyment day to day is what is just, yeah, I feel grateful to have that because I am so fired up just with these new things. And whether that's another year, two, three years, um, I mean, I'm also realistic. I know where I'm at and age-wise and the sport. And so, yeah, I'm just trying to take full advantage of of where I am right now. Nice. Well, yeah, you see a lot of folks coming, you know, my, my nearest colleagues from the pro road Peloton, and they're just psyched about the fun factor. And it's everything you also just hit on. It's it's new. It's different. It's it's refreshed. It's not the same old, same old. Um, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, you're doing it all for the right reasons. Uh, your your enthusiasm is infectious to be part of. It's really cool to watch your YouTube videos and and. Oh, and thank you. Like, <laughs> yeah, you you do a tremendous job showing what this this life is all about. So, very well done there. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um. We wrap with three traditional questions. Very hard okay. questions. Uh-oh. <laughs> what is your favorite place to ride a bike? What is the number one place you would like to ride a bike that you've never ridden? And with whom, living or otherwise, fictitious, nonfiction, with whom would you like to go for a bike ride? Ooh, favorite so place to ride a bike? My favorite place right now to ride a bike? Probably Patagonia, Arizona. Yeah. Just... We're right here, so we can always drive down in our van. I just love it. It's there's right. nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> just open. Yeah. Yeah. Um Faye, where would you like to go? They've never ridden. I would like to go to what is the I can't even think of the name of the climb. This which is it the Stelvio? You've probably ridden it a bunch. It's over Stelvio's- like the Italy France border. It's near where UTMB is. And in yeah. my mind, I'm like, oh, I can go check out UTMB and then do that crazy climb. Mm-hmm. I just, it looks incredible. <laughs> Let me know if you go to UTMB. Uh, Sun God just became a a eyewear sponsor. And they're in, uh, I want to say Courchevel. They're in Switzerland. But then I was looking at a map and it's all so close together. It's all right there. Yeah, UTMB, you run all, the three. Right. Oh my gosh, it looks so amazing. They're like, yeah, we got to have you over and do a bike ride. I'm like, oh my gosh, twist my arm. Yeah. Yes, please. Can we? Let's do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I know. I'm like, Yeah. Looking at yep. that kind of time frame over there, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> um, and okay, with whom would you like to go for a bike ride? Oh, uh, with whom? Probably my husband Waddy and my puppy Stevie. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> my new baby, baby puppy. She loves to ride. She is literally like gets the most excited to go for a ride. <laughs> nice. What do you got? Backpack, front pouch. Yeah, backpack. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well. We locked it up in under an hour. That's outstanding. Uh, I really appreciate the time. Thank you for the insight and and transparency into your life. And I'll see you here, there, somewhere at the races. Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me on, honestly. Huge honor. So I appreciate it. (laughs) Sure. All right. (laughs) Say hi to Laura. I will. Absolutely. Thank you very much. 